um, good morning. All right, yeah, great. Uh, in terms of who to vote for, um, I'm, I'm still doing my research. Uh, there are over 13,000 candidates, so please bear with me. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll be communicating that through our official channels in due course. And understand that as a foreigner, I'm completely neutral in this. So you can trust my word. Um, for those who are new, that's a joke. Sometimes people can't tell when I'm joking, but I just want to uh, make sure you understand. I've heard someone say, in church, people are brainwashed. I want to assure you, I'm not brainwashing anyone and telling them who to vote for. Uh, but as you heard, we're beginning a four-week series entitled God and Politics, uh, as we, like uh, the rest of Kenya, are counting down uh, 22 days, is it, uh, before elections. And uh, this morning, the title of my sermon is, Where is God in our politics? And uh, for you to understand where I'm coming from, I just want to set the scene. Uh, not only looking at Kenya, but even looking around the world, just from the news from the past couple of weeks. Uh, the U.S. has been running hearings into the Capitol riots uh, following Trump's loss in the elections last year, where five people died. And, and others were injured. Some of the iconic pictures that have come through uh, from that uh, will be on the screen. And whilst President Biden has only been president for one and a half years or, or just under that, uh, a recent poll suggests that two-thirds of Democrats, that's the people in his own party, don't want him to run a second term. So it seems people are already fed up and it's not even halfway into his term. Elsewhere, in the news, we, we, we saw the UK Prime Minister forced to resign. And uh, Kenyan satirical journalist, Patrick Gathara, who normally writes in uh, Al Jazeera, uh, in his satirical way, he was saying, now, Africa, we want to send democracy experts uh, to the UK. And this is how, this is a part of what he said. He said, after a revolt by ruling party legislators led by ethnic minority members of parliament, Johnson has formed a transitional administration, which includes many of the same people who are trying to topple him. While hanging on to office, Johnson has promised not to do much work, not to introduce any new policies, and seems to actually spend much of his remaining time planning his wedding. And last week, we had pictures coming in from Sri Lanka, a different part of the world, in the east, where. The protests got so bad, these guys stormed the presidential residence and forced the president to resign. That's, that's people power for you. And which the president did after fleeing to Maldives. And some of the iconic photos that have been coming through from that is people swimming in the presidential swimming pool. Bringing it closer to home in Africa. And not just over the last few weeks, but I think one of the worrying trends we've seen since 2020 is military takeovers supported by the population. So in Chad, Mali, Guinea, Burkina Faso, there have been popular uprisings that have led to military coups. And we've also had one in Sudan. And as was said in Hamlet, something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Not literally, of course, but just something is going on that's wrong with this situation. 
And this is not what most of us imagined, the rule of the people, for the people, by the people, is meant to look like. And no wonder voter turnout is declining all across the world since the 1990s. Bring it back home, bring it back to Kenya. I read an editorial uh, from the director of editorial in Nation Media Group, Mutuma Mathieu, and he published an open letter to the in incoming president saying, hey, as a citizen, this is my wish list. And part of what he said, one of the points was, incoming president, please could you change the political culture? He says, Kenyan politics is a scam, a scam. It tolerates and attracts deviance so long as the worst criminal elements can thrive in politics, so long as people are going into politics to make money, Kenya will always suffer runaway corruption. Development is not possible in such circumstances. And I was speaking to one young lady. I don't know, there seems to be an echo. Is, can you guys hear me okay? And I was asking her, are you going to vote? Or who are you going to vote for more specifically? You know, in, in, in Africa, we, we just don't have boundaries. So I was asking, who are you going to vote for? <laughs> and she, she replied, I'm not voting. It's like, I, 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 I'm, I'm fed up with the politics. And this is someone who's just under 25. I won't disclose her identity in case of victimization. <laughs> and in fact, what she asked me was, where is God in our politics? And so to try and help answer this question as we kick off the series, we're going to look at the book of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk. And this book was written for the, the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, if you know anything about kind of the history, the northern part had already been uh, dispersed by the Assyrians. And these guys in, in Judah, the prophet was saying, hey, there's international turmoil around us, but also so much corruption within us. And essentially what he was asking God, right, whereas other prophets would speak to people about God, Habakkuk was speaking to God about people. And he was asking, where are you in this mess? And why have you allowed this to happen? So let's get into our text for this morning. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. The Lord replied, Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. 
Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down and devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty, for their own strength is their God. O oh Lord my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O oh Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins, but you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who have made us rich, they will claim. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaints. Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that Arana can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, Wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Wealth is treacherous, and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave, and like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they are gathered upon many nations and swallowed by many peoples. But soon, their captives will taunt them. They will mock them, saying, What sorrow awaits you, thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. You become rich by extortion, but how much longer can this go on? Suddenly, your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all you have while you stand trembling and helpless. Because you have plundered many nations, now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside, and filled the towns with violence. What sorrow awaits you, who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger? But by the murders you committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones in the walls cry out against you, and the beams in the ceilings echo the complaint. What sorrow awaits you, who builds cities with money gained through murder and corruption. Has not the Lord of Heaven's armies promised that the wealth of nations will turn to ashes? They work so hard, but all in vain. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. What sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk? You force your cup on them so that you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. But soon, it will be your turn to be disgraced. Come, drink and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment, 
and all your glory will be turned to shame. You cut down the forests of Lebanon, now you will be cut down. You destroyed the world animals, so now their terror will be yours. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stone images you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, Help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. I see God moving across the deserts of Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Piranus. Brilliant splendor fills the heavens and the earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. Pestilence marches before him. Plague follows close behind. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. I see the people of Kushan in distress and the nation of Midian trembling in terror. Was it an anger, Lord, that you struck the river sand, parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? No, you were sending your chariots of salvation. You brandished your bow and your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth with flowing rivers. The mountains washed and trembled. Onward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands in submission. The sun and the moon stood still in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and your glittering spear flashed. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in your fury. You went out to rescue your chosen people to save your anointed ones. You crushed the heads of the wicked and stripped their bones from head to toe. With his own weapons, you destroyed the chief of those who rushed out like a whirlwind, thinking Israel would be easy prey. You trampled the sea with your horses and the mighty waters piled high. I trembled inside. When I heard this, my lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful dialogue that we see. We thank you that you are a God who is alive. You are a God who speaks. Not only are you a God who's alive and who speaks, but you are a God who watches over the workings of the nations. 
for the purposes of your people. And Lord, even as we look at this beautiful passage, I ask that you would speak into our hearts. Would you speak into one tribe? Would you speak into Nairobi? Would you speak into the nation of Kenya? And Lord, we look to your promise that surely the earth will be covered with your glory as the waters cover the sea. Let it be, Lord God, in our day. Amen. Amen. Why don't we give a hand to the guys who helped us in that passage. Now, if you got lost somewhere in the middle of the passage or you entered while we're reading it, the question we're trying to answer is, where is God in our politics? And I want to suggest a single answer this morning, that he is right here overseeing it. Ultimate oversight for our governments comes not from the ICC or from the IBC, civic society, or any other international watchdog, but it lies with God. And we see Habakkuk beginning in chapter 1, from verse 2, with him raising a complaint to God. He says, God, I've been crying out to you. How long? It seems like ages, but you're doing nothing. You don't seem to be paying attention to the situation on the ground. Why are you allowing this, this injustice to continue? We, we, we see destruction. We see violence. There is arguing. There is conflict. It seems like the wicked far outnumber the righteous. And so now our courts are, are ineffective. Justice is paralyzed. The law is paralyzed. It's become useless. And looking locally, perhaps we, we could be justified for asking the same questions. How long, oh Lord? How long will, will bodies mysteriously show up in the Yala River? And with no explanation. Why does it seem that corruption cases just disappear within our justice system? For, for how long shall we hear of billions of shillings disappearing from the national coffers? How have our politicians become so rich while working in the civil service? And yet, as we look at the text, God's response is not one of surprise. Oh, oh, Habakkuk, I'm, I'm so sorry about what's happening. I, I had no idea. I, I think I need to do something about it. In fact, God tells Habakkuk that he's already working out a plan in judgment of the situation. And he says, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your own day. Something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. And one might say, hey, maybe this was just a special case for, for Israel as, as God's covenant people. But God's saying, I'm doing something not in Israel, but in the nations. Rather than God being caught by surprise, in fact, he's doing something that catches Habakkuk by surprise. Friends, God is neither unaware, disinterested, or caught by surprise by our political situation. In fact, he's already working out his plans for Kenya. 
If you believe that, would you say amen? And I know we've, we've planned to pray and fast in the coming week, but guess what? We're not coming to God to inform him about how dire our situation is. We're not, we're not coming to try and, and convince this distant, disinterested God to get involved in our situation. But we, like Habakkuk, are coming to hear from God his plans and his purposes for our nation in this season. And Habakkuk is indeed surprised by God's plan. In fact, he's quite disturbed by it. And at this point, I need to caution us in the church from putting God's seal of approval on any particular political ideology, candidate, or group. Prophesying that, yes, it's, it's this man or, or, or this woman. This, this is the coalition that's God's team for the job. Because what we see in this passage is that God's activity is often unpredictable and surprising. From raising Joseph up from prison to the right hand of Pharaoh, from, from calling Moses and David, from being with the sheep to lead the people of Israel, from raising Daniel from being a captive to be a, a right-hand man with Nebuchadnezzar. God's ways in, in this political scene is often unpredictable and surprising. And listen, it's, it's okay for you to, to have an opinion and a, and a personal preference as a, as a citizen of Kenya, but what we must not do is, is baptize your preference or opinion and call it the official policy of heaven. Moving on quickly from that. What disturbs Habakkuk is expressed in chapters 1, verse 12 to 17. I won't bring them up because we heard them being read. But what essentially disturbs Habakkuk is how can this holy, pure, upright, righteous God use this wicked, idolatrous Babylonians? You see, this is not simply just the paradox of how can evil exist in a, in a world if there's a good, all-powerful God who is loving. It goes a step further. How can an all-good, all-loving, all-powerful God use wicked people, evil people, for his purposes? It's not that God is under any illusions as to the nature of the Babylonians. He, he starts by calling them cruel and violent. And in verse 11, he says that they're deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. And so we, we see this biblical paradox that God uses even the wicked for his purposes. Yet he is not responsible for their wickedness. In fact, he holds them to account for that wickedness, declaring them guilty. And in one sense, this is, this is comforting 
That when we see so much wrong or injustice, whether it's in the law courts or, or government or political situations, it doesn't mean that God is not at work. That somehow God is, is out of the picture. He, he's on voicemail. In fact, when the situation looks its darkest, God is working all things out for his purposes and for the good of those who love him, the people of God. And if we make this personal, perhaps you've, you've gone through a, a, a difficult or even painful situation or circumstance. And it's not just maybe a situation or circumstance. Maybe you grew up in a difficult environment. Like, over the past two weeks, if I'm honest, I was just thinking about the difficulties my, my parents had in their marriage and, and how it affected us as children. And I was asking God, why? And maybe you, you lost your job. Maybe you had to close down your business. Maybe you had to stop school. Perhaps you had a painful end to your relationship. Maybe you even went through a divorce yourself. Or maybe like, like I did. Your parents were divorced. Maybe you've been an, a victim of, of injustice and corruption. That The things that we're talking about today, they really hit home. And, and you ask yourself, why is this happening to me? Or, or perhaps you're, you're, you're in the middle of it and you, you're even asking yourself, how long will I go through the suffering? Can I reassure you this morning that God is working out a plan in the midst of the challenges of your life. In the midst of the mess of broken relationships, broken marriages, failed businesses, lost jobs lost opportunities. God is working a plan in your life. God is working out a plan in the challenges of this great nation of Kenya. Even if you might look at the political scene and you, you imagine yourself picking up that ballot paper looking at who's on the options for president, who's on the options for governor, who's on the options for MP, who's on the option for women rep, who's on the option for senator, who's on the option for MCA. I mean, it, it, it will be a very big ballot paper. And you look at those faces, and you think, wow, <laughs> we're in trouble. Can I assure you, that God is working out his plan for Kenya. Beyond our borders, God is working out his plan in Africa. I don't know about U.S. and Europe, but I can assure you, God is at work in Africa. Even as we're faced with the ravages of, of coups, wars, corruption, inflation, poverty, God is working out his plan. Now, Having said these comforting words, it doesn't mean that we become passive and say, hey, whatever happens, happens. Inshallah. It is what it is. Instead, we see Habakkuk contending with God in prayer. Habakkuk is, is not sitting back and saying, hey, 
It doesn't matter what, what happens with whoever dominates Judah. It doesn't matter whether it's the Babylonians. Well, God has spoken. That's it. I, I, I don't care what happens to my countrymen and countrywomen. In fact, Habakkuk is praying in line with God's character and nature when he considers what's happening in his situation. And this morning I loved how we sang about how we look to Yahweh because when we talk about Yahweh, it's, it's not just God's name. It represents God's character and nature. It represents this God who came and said to the children of Israel, I have seen your suffering under the hands of Pharaoh and I am going to act to deliver you. It represents a God who says, hey, I, re I remember the promises that are made to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, and I have come to fulfill them this day. It represents a God who worked miracles to deliver his people who parted the Red Sea, who provided manna in the desert, gave water out of the rock, and gave them conquest of their land. And so when we look at the situation around us and we look at the character and the nature of God, we can stand and contend with Him and say, Hey God, you are the delivering God. You are the sustaining God. You are the God of justice. You are the God who sees us in our trouble and acts to deliver us. You are the God of impossible situations who brings water from rocks and manna from heaven. And that's the first point. We don't stand back and quote Romans 8, 28, but we contend with God in prayer. That is nature and character would be expressed in our day. And, and this is what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in Kenya as it is in heaven. Your will be done in Nairobi, as it is in heaven. Your will be done in Dea, as it is in heaven. Dea, that's where I live. You can pray for your own area. <laughs> and this is what Paul said to Timothy. He said, first of all, and I want you to understand that in the context of this letter, Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, Timothy, I've sent you to Ephesus and I want you to take charge of things, to hold forth until I come. And when he starts to give Timothy instructions of how he is to live and, and what they're to do as a church, he says, the first thing, the first priority for the church, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Before he gets to, hey, let's have worship teams. Hey, let's have sermons. Hey, let, let's do this and that. He says, firstly, Timothy, the number one priority, the number one duty that I want the church to fulfill at this time is to pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people, particularly those who are in authority. And he said this is going to affect the way we live our lives. Paul, he agrees with James, as the old KJV puts it in James 5.16. 
the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Amen. In today's language, what James is saying, when God's people earnestly pray, God's power is released on their behalf. Now, make no mistake that I'm talking about introducing an idealistic, utopian society where we live in comfort and luxury. Just, just read the book of Acts. You see, Paul was continually harassed, imprisoned, persecuted, and as tradition puts it, finally executed, as we see in 2 Timothy, him preparing. And yet, this biblical command and the promise it infers still stands. That we pray for those in government and political positions that we may live peaceful and quiet lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Might say, hey, Cephas, I agree with you. This thing about contending in prayer, I agree with you, but I'm, I'm no good at praying. I too am guilty of that charge. And in fact, the Bible says we don't know how to pray even as we ought to. But the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. One of the things that I love to do, I know it'll be hard to believe, is I like to read the news. And just as I was preparing, I thought, hey man, rather than just reading the news for information or to find the latest outrageous thing that has been done by this politician or that, what if I read the news prayerfully? When, when, I, when I read about those bodies showing up in Yala River, it's a moment to pray and say, Lord, would you stop violence in our land? Lord, would, would, we, would we have justice? Would we, would we have police that protect society? Lord, would, would we have people in positions of authority who are incensed and enraged when they see such things? and make it their mandate and their mission that it shouldn't occur on their watch. When I read someone saying, hey, we've got 15 trillion shillings stashed somewhere out of the country, rather than just shaking my head and saying, Lord, will those 15 trillion trillings come back to Kenya? Every single shilling. Would they be invested in the economy? Would our young people have opportunities? Would they be invest in our, invested in our infrastructure and our education system? Friends, we contend with God in prayer. Secondly, what we see Habakkuk doing is that he stands as a prophetic voice. Habakkuk not only contends with God in prayer, but he, he expects God in turn to speak to him, that he may relay the message to others. And this is what he says in Habakkuk 2 when it starts. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. Now, this is not kind of literal, but what he's saying is that 
He's playing the role of a watchman. Watchmen would, would look out into the horizon for any danger that was coming, and, and whatever was happening, they would relay it back. The point of being a watchman is not to have all the information, to say, hey, I've got all this knowledge and revelation. Actually, it's to protect the people in the city. And so, as I speak to us as a church, we must not shy away from being a prophetic voice in our city and in our nation. To be a people who bring God's word, God's perspective, the perspective of the kingdom, the, the perspective of Jesus' teachings into the real world, our everyday world. And this is not to be a, a, a prophetic voice to, to push a, politi a politician's agenda or, or, or an interest group's agenda, but to declare God's truth concerning justice and righteousness. When he said he, had, he has shown you, oh man, but what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. This is universal. And listen to, to what the book of Proverbs says. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Friends, that's, that's just a, a truth. Righteousness exalts a nation. Now for us to, to be a prophetic people in the world, we need to put our house in order and be a prophetic voice in the church first. Because when, when you talk to the people who are not in church, they say, hey, church is a scam. Like, look, look what's happening in the church. Look at this leader. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Friends, if, if we are participating in the injustice and the unrighteousness and the wickedness, if, if Habakkuk was himself participating in violence, destruction, arguing, conflict. He would have no way to be able to stand before people, let alone stand before God. We have too many wolves in sheep's clothing. The very things spoken of by Habakkuk, violence, destruction, greed... We are finding them in the church. Jesus said, if the salt loses its saltiness, what is to be done? It is good for nothing except to be thrown out onto the rubbish heap and trampled on by the feet of men. Perhaps we need to remind ourselves that the gospel is not a means for you to get rich. It's not a means for you to, to satisfy your worldly desires. Perhaps we need to remind ourselves that, that Jesus calls us to be a different kind of people. 
city set on the hill, a light that shines in dark places. That we're to live countercultural lives in the way we, we, we handle ourselves, we, we handle our devices, we, we handle our Netflix, we handle our sexuality, we handle our, the way we, we handle authority. That we need a, a different style of leadership, not, not one of entourages and, and, and motorcades and, and armor bearers, but one where the greatest is the least and the one who is leader is the servant of all. You see, it's okay to inscribe the first sentence of our constitution and acknowledge God's supremacy, but where God's supremacy needs to be acknowledged is in the hearts. Because unless God is supreme in our hearts, then His supremacy in the constitution is nullified. Unless we can, we can see God's supremacy on your device, in your bedroom, on your bank account and MPSA statement, saying that we're 85% Christian as a country remains useful only as a statistic on Wikipedia. And it's no, of no consequence in our daily lives. Blessed are those, Jesus said, who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice. For they, and they alone, will be satisfied. Perhaps we need to be a prophetic voice in the church before those who live in glass houses throw stones at the politicians. So we contend with God in prayer and we stand as a prophetic voice. But how does God respond to Habakkuk's complaint of, of how can a good God use evil people? How, how can this all-loving, good, all-powerful God use wicked people? And how would God respond to those among us with the same questions, whether for ourselves or even the political situation. Or perhaps this is one of the things that, is, that has kept you from coming to the Christian faith. You say, no, 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 I, I can't square up with, with a good God who allows evil. I can't square up with a good God who would even use wicked people. How would God respond? Now, as I begin to wrap up, I, I just want us to see that God tells Habakkuk, that even the Babylonians will be judged. We know from history, and if you look in the story in the book of Daniel chapter 5, when a disembodied, a dismembered hand appears and writes on the wall. And what God is telling Habakkuk is, Habakkuk, the writing is already on the wall for the Babylonians. And then he says to Habakkuk, I want you to write it down so that the one who reads it may run with it. I know this has been used for church vision statements. 
But what God is saying is, hey, I want you to take note of this for your community and for posterity, that they would know this is what the living God has done. And then he goes on to pronounce five woes or five sorrows, as we heard. These are five universal expressions of divine judgment. Not only upon the Babylonians, as Babylon from Genesis to Revelation represents the ungodly world systems. He's speaking this judgment on, on all the godless world systems. Not only is it God pronouncing the judgment Actually, the judgment comes from the mouths of those who have suffered under the tyranny of the Babylonians. What he's saying is, hey, there's going to come a day of vindication. You might look at history and think, man, where is justice for those guys? Where is the justice for those guys who were killed in 1900? Where is the justice for those guys whose land was taken in 1850? Where is the justice? But God says, no, 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 no. There's coming a day when there shall be universal vindication and even the mouths of those who have been oppressed shall affirm that justice has been served. Listen to, to what he speaks into the Babylonians looking at the socio-political and, and economic system. I'll just pick three, the first three. He says, what sorrow awaits you, thieves? Well, what sorrow awaits you, thieves? You know, th 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 that's where the word kleptocracy comes from. Like kleptomaniac, the, the, the rule of thieves. And he says, hey, no, no, no. What sorrow awaits you? If you participate in kleptocracy, now you will get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion. But, but how much longer can this go on? You've got unexplained millions in your bank account. God says, no, no, no. What sorrow awaits you? What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? He said, oh, your biggest problem is, is money laundering. Wash, wash. God says, no, no, no. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Can I just say that what I say up front is what I'm hearing when I talk to people. This is not my own judgment on the situation. People are like, hey, look at those flats. Wash, wash. Habakkuk is saying, hey, what sorrow awaits you? And this morning, I, I think you've already seen that I, I, I'm, I'm trying to speak candidly. For our time on earth is short and eternity is long. And I want to humbly urge you, if you're in politics or considering to enter politics, be there to serve the people, to promote their welfare and implement just laws, not to enrich yourself. And what the Lord is saying to Habakkuk and us this morning is that, hey, the writing is already on the wall for any kingdoms, rulers, politicians, or people, and places of power who have used their position to steal from others. The writing is already on the wall. 
If, if you have used your political power or connections to unjustly take people's property or to disadvantage and, and disenfranchise the people whilst you build your empire and wealth for yourself and your family. And the Lord says, the day of judgment is coming to Habakkuk, that, that there's going to be a day of universal judgment when Habakkuk sees God coming in all his glory and splendor. It is to take his seat as the one who oversees and judges the nations. And this is what Paul said in the New Testament. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is a, a day in court that, that cannot be postponed. It, it cannot be, you can't go around it. You can't have someone else appear on your behalf. Each one of us must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so finally, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to God's words? Do, do we gloat? Do we judge? Do we, do we condemn? No. The Lord says that the just shall live by faith. That in our present situation, we see a different reality. When Scripture spoke about Moses, it says that he thought it a light thing to leave behind the riches of Egypt and Pharaoh because he saw a greater ruler. And this is what it means to live by faith, is living with this perspective that things may be the way they are. We might be able to cry violent and destruction. We might be contending with God even at the present moment for our situation, but we still see another reality. We, we see something different for Kenya. We see something different for our world because God will act at last and justice will be vindicated. So God is calling us to a faith-filled outlook towards our politics. A faith-filled outlook is it's, it's not an idealistic outlook. It's not a, an outlook, a denialist outlook. You know, let's just say positive things and we'll have positive things happening. I, what? Another 15 billion... No, 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 I don't want to hear about that. Um, let's, let's just focus on the positive. No, no, no. A faithful outlook says that God is working out his plan for our nation. On the other hand, being realistic does not be, mean becoming cynical and skeptical, bitter, Being the lead complainer 
about the situation. That's not what faith-filled outlook looks like. It means being a prophetic voice. When, when the situation would ordinarily call for cynicism, skepticism, negativity, we're a prophetic voice fixed on what God is saying. I'd like to invite the band over just as we close. Maybe the band could just come up. And I'll just invite us to stand. This morning we were answering the question, where is God in our politics? And the answer I've tried to give this morning is that, no, no, God is right here overseeing it. And I said, how we respond to that is by contending with God in prayer. And this week we, we've got a wonderful opportunity as we fast and pray together and we gather here on Friday evening from 6.30 once again not to inform God of our situation but to hear from Him on His perspective. I say that not only do we contend with God in prayer, but also we stand as a prophetic voice. But before we can speak to the world, we need to speak to the church. That those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. I've spoken about how we can bring these two together that a good, all-powerful, loving God is at work in evil, wicked situations. And God has said, no, there is going to come a day of vindication, a day of justice. And our response is that the just, the righteous, will live by faith. I would love for us just to, where you are, considering this word, just to consider where you fall on this spectrum have you fallen into passivity? No, the situation is so bad. I will have nothing to do with politics or government. Uh, I will have nothing to do with that. I, I will not care about it. I will spare myself the, the rise in blood pressure. I just, I just don't care. But I don't believe that's the response that God is calling us to. He's calling us to a faith-filled contention and stand. And so if that's you, I just want to invite you, even now, just to begin to think and to reflect on that and begin to pray. Or maybe you've fallen into cynicism, bitterness, complaining. And again, what we see in this text is not, that's not the faithful response that God is calling us to. He's calling us to be a people who see what he is doing, who proclaim it and who stand on it. And so if you've, if you've fallen into cynicism, bitterness, complaining, I want to invite you this morning to repent. And that's just saying, hey, Lord, that's not who you're calling me to be. Show me what it looks like to live by faith, even 
when things are upside down around me. Or maybe we've fallen into idealism, thinking we can, we can have this utopia. And God is saying, no, no, no. The end is not yet. The end is still nigh. I just want to end by reading the last verses and then we'll sing together. The last verses of Habakkuk. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, even though the the situation looks bleak and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, even though we have skyrocketing inflation, even though it feels like income is not keeping up with the rise in prices, even if the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, even though there's, there's nothing in the situation around us and the horizon that would give us hope, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in Yahweh this covenant-keeping God. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Yahweh, the saving God. The sovereign Lord is my strength. This, This God who oversees our politics, who oversees our governments, He is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer. He will enable me to navigate whatever complexity arises around me and I'm able to tread upon the heights. Amen.